Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the spooky films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about perhaps one of the most derivative and yet efficient films of the 1990s, and that's 1995's Jacko. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, as of this broadcast, you can find 1995's Jacko on Amazon Prime for like $2. Or if you have no self-respect, you can pay $7 for an HD version. I paid the two and I could not tell the difference. Luke, I am very surprised this film is not on Tubi. I would assume it was. It, it used to be on Amazon Prime and you know what? Maybe it's on Shutter. Maybe that's why I'm able to view it. But I watched my VHS tape, which I don't know that I've ever actually watched it before. And turns out that I'm missing a shower scene. Well, this is the last of our Halloween episodes. We didn't necessarily start out strong. But we definitely did not save the best for last. <laughs> I mean, this is this is not a great movie, but it is a very Halloween movie. It, it's probably got more Halloween jammed into it than I, almost any other movie I've ever seen. And it this, so this movie came out in 1995. I would have been 10. So I think about the same age as our main character, Sean. And this is how I remember Halloween, right? Like the decorations that they have, the way trick-or-treating looks, the costumes that kids are wearing, um, like all of that looks like the Halloween I remember, like my suburban Halloween. And so I think that this movie captures a little bit of nostalgia for me too. Right, like the showering babysitters and the witches and Buicks. <laughs> and some of that was new. <laughs> but no. So this was directed by a guy named Steve Latshaw, who did not have a prolific career. Um, he wrote a bunch. He wrote 29 movies, including most recently The Return of the Killer Strews. But mostly it's like, you know, animal attack type movies. Um, he directed nine movies half of which are associated with Fred Olin Ray, the producer, who's the, the, the commentary on the DVD of this movie is infamous for being like one of the most incredible commentary tracks ever because you've got the director and Fred Olin Ray just bickering at each other. It's clear that they hate one another and that they did not get along on this movie. And so I think you can see the movie being kind of pulled in both directions. Like there are moments where it feels like a Fred Olin Ray movie, meaning that it's like exploitative trash. And then there's other moments where it seems to be trying to be like a Goosebumps episode, like very family Halloween Disney Channel. Right? Like, did you get that sense? Yeah, there, there's a grab bag here in themes. But it makes sense that... It might be because these two titans of the industry were pulling this movie apart in two different directions, like wild stallions. So Fred Olin Ray, uh, I think a lot of horror fans are familiar with. 
Um, he started his career early with movies like The Alien Dead and Scalps and Biohazard. Actually, um, oddly, he is from uh, Central Florida and he filmed his first or his. Yeah, I think it was his first movie, The Alien Dead and Oviedo when Oviedo was still just like a swamp. And, and so anyway, he started very low budget and he remained low budget. He's most famous for like really cheesy movies like Evil Spawn and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. But he his movies are they're ridiculous. They're over the top. They're exploitative. There's lots of like nudity and he's fully aware that they're trash. And so on the commentary, he's basically saying, like, this movie is exploitation, like it's garbage. And the director is trying to like he clearly wanted it to be ambitious. He clearly wanted to, like, make a real movie. And so I think that they were just very at odds, which is part of why this almost feels like two different movies. Imagine being the 10 year old actor in this film, right? You're like, yeah, I started a movie and it's finished. Do I get to watch it? Um, No, not really, because there's a lot of scenes that aren't appropriate for you. Yeah, normally, normally I think about like, I think obviously the kid just had to be in on what's going on. But in this movie, I genuinely think that he could have not been and it could have worked. I think he's the most painfully awful part of the movie, though. Right. Which again leads to the genre confusion because why would you have an exploitation film where one of the if i guess he is the main character where the main character is just like an innocent unsuspecting kid that almost nothing bad happens to so i think he's a i think he's a horrendous actor He's extremely wooden. And there are times where, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to, but I have no idea what his expression is supposed to be. He's, I mean, all of the, I think all of the acting in this movie is bad, except maybe Linnea quickly. And, but he's the worst. And it doesn't really surprise me because he was the uh, son of the director, Steve Latshaw. Ah. nepotism indeed talent didn't earn this kid anything i mean maybe pretty he's, cruel man he's hey, 10 he's hey, 10 <laughs> i hope he has gone on to accomplish great things in life i just don't think acting is going to be one of them but yeah so he's quite painful and then let's talk about the other members of the cast are his parents even worth discussing I'm not really one to body shame here, but his mom has some serious eyes. <laughs> you thought they were like strange? She has some Gowron eyes, man. All right. I know you don't know what that means because you haven't seen Star Trek The Next Generation, but she has some buggy ass eyes for those of you out there who have not seen this film. I was very uncertain whether or not she was doing that on purpose or if her eyes are just like that by default. I think her eyes are naturally big. And I also think that that was more fashionable in the early to mid nineties that like exaggerated eyes. That's just me. I mean, I I lived through the early nineties. I'll remember that. So I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at her IMDb. 
she only acted in five things and and one of them was uh another of this director's films anyway we're not dealing with the most accomplished actors here uh the dad i think is okay like in in this cast he might be more competent he's just the boring suburban dad yeah, one character describes their whole house and family as so white bread, which made me laugh. And so Linnea quickly plays the babysitter. How old do you think her character is supposed to be? Well, they do mention that she's divorced. Yeah. childless, and lives alone. So I'm assuming she's probably at least 30. Yeah, but... Like, so there are certain aspects of her character that I think are that make her seem like an older adult, like mid 30s or so. But then there are things about her character that make her seem like a teenager, like the fact that she's babysitting and wants to leave early to go to a Halloween party. Like, not to say that's not possible for a 30 something, just it's not the kind of behavior we typically see from non-teenage characters in these movies. So I found it strange. Did you like her performance okay? As you said earlier, she is the best actress in the film. And and I mean, I feel kind of silly even asking, did you like her performance? (laughs) Because, (laughs) Because I don't think anything that happens in this movie can be considered acting. Right. Uh, yeah, there's okay. Uh, you know, we don't discuss these films before we start recording, but it's clear at this point that we're going to be slinging a lot of mud here. I, I, I'll be defending some aspects of this film, but acting is not one of them. I didn't even realize the kid was that bad just because it doesn't really seem that bad compared to everybody else. It's, it's the same. Oh, I thought he was... Except for Linnea. I thought he was the worst. Um, I think Linnea's sister in the movie is fine. I think she comes across pretty well. And... Are are we only saying this because these are the two topless characters in the film? Like, is that <laughs> biasing us? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, all right. Maybe it's because they're the two that act the most human. Like... Sean's mom, we don't see that much of, but she is strange and the things she allows to happen are strange. And then Vivian is even stranger and all of her behavior is strange. So it's like these are really hard to identify with these characters. And that makes it hard for me to know, like, how much of this is just bad, awkward, wooden acting and how much of it is an in intentional effort to make the the character creepy or weird that is a great observation how much of this is due to actual bad acting and how much of it is due to bad writing you know like there's something about this movie part of part of this episode is going to be me trying to put my finger on what is it about this movie that i don't like because if you look at all the ingredients of this movie, I should love it. Maybe not as a good movie, but as a fun Halloween movie, 
right? And I do think this is fun and I like to watch it at Halloween, but there's something off about it, something that makes it like not that enjoyable a watch. And I think it's just, there's an, the, the line reading is so wooden. And then there's also long stretches of the movie where there's no music and there's no cinematography or anything going on. Like it might as well be shot on video because it just feels like a stationary camera most of the time. And so it's almost like just bland. Yeah, this movie is very white bread. <laughs> Had, <laughs> have you heard that expression in real life? Yes. Also, um, I get along the same vein as like a white picket fence. Yeah, yeah. Boring, safe, not noteworthy. Speaking of of slang, there's a part of the controversy or the fight between Fred Olin Ray and uh, the director Steve Latshaw on the commentary is because Fred Olin Ray refers to this movie as a shit pickle. <laughs> 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 and and oh. so now so now you can often hear this film being referred to as such and steve latshaw was not appreciative of that yeah a shit pickle <laughs> fred olin ray is an interesting character like i have the dvd for hollywood chainsaw hookers and if you watch the extras there's there's literally just a scene where he like guides you through his house with his wife. And he's like, it, it's basically like, look how rich I am and look at my hot wife and look at like my, my cool lifestyle. It, it's just him showing off like a, like a bro. It's very silly. <laughs> I don't immature. So that's how I imagine this movie going down. I imagine that influence on one side, hence we get like a five minute Linnea quickly shower scene. And then on the other side, we have this, I want to make a family Halloween movie with semi artistic ambition. And so you get main characters, a kid, and there's lots of weird dream sequences and in and out of reality. And, there's some strange non-exploitive stuff going on that I don't quite get, but it seems like this is going to be a rambly episode because I don't think there's enough of a movie to like keep us structured, but uh, should we? That sounds like a great segue for the trailer. Yeah. Let's play the trailer and then we'll talk about what story there is. Mr. Jack will snap your spine, cut you in half with a scaly vine. Dad, a monster's real. A fairy tale born from a legend. A truth more terrifying than the tale. So pray for that in the night, okay? Only one man had the courage to stand against the forces of darkness. But when a secret that lay dormant for nearly a century is accidentally unearthed, a vicious avenger is summoned to fulfill an age-old prophecy. Send us a demon from hell. Then I'll quit before you die. Mr. Jack will steal your eyes. Mr. Jack will. Mr. Jack will. Guided by a vision, the young boy stands between good and evil. Haunted by his family's secret past, he must face and fulfill his destiny. Only Sean. 
a new soldier. Mr. Jack will And terror has a new name. Mr. Jack will steal your soul. Jacko. You know, the, the most important thing about a prophecy is the credibility of its source. They never once tell you who wrote this prophecy that this entire plot revolves around. It's just like they say, <laughs> very vague. It's also strange because we hear bits and pieces of that poem that kids rhyme throughout the movie, but we never hear all of it at once. Like it's not like in Nightmare on Elm Street where you hear this the whole song sung. You just hear bits and pieces and they're never the same. And I don't think they're good. Like the rhyme isn't good. I don't think it would have caught on. Well, definitely not with that kid's performance. We've also got like John Carradine sitting in the woods introducing parts of the prophecy. But he those he was long dead by the time this movie was made. Like those scenes are from another movie that Fred Olin Ray just edited into this one. So they don't really tell us anything. That's what it was. That's what it is. Yeah, that that's why John Carradine it talks to nobody in this movie and says nonsense that has nothing to do with the story and has a weird blue filter over top of him. Yeah. So I, I think the idea here is that Carradine's character is some kind of wizard who I'm assuming got killed or yeah, got killed, right? Yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit hazy on that part of the, the legend. Right. So he was a wizard that got wronged in some way. And as vengeance summons a demon with a jack-o'-lantern for a head to carry out his revenge against two families. But then and they their, and their lineage. And they essentially lose control of the demon. And like it, it just comes down to this one guy to stand against it and and challenge it. And so we see part of this in flashback, right? Or in, you know, a flash backwards in time, which those scenes are, are like painfully bad, right? It looks like they were filmed in a different decade because they were. Like, no, I don't mean the scenes with John Carradine. I mean the flashback scenes to the settlers, the oh. frontier settlers. Oh, God, no. Yeah, you jump from Halloween film to Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> the drop of a hat. I mean, it really feels like like a neighborhood theater trying to put on a play about pilgrims or something. Like it's it's so awkward and bad. I was thinking more of one of those uh historical recreation sites. Ah, that's good. That's a good call. Yeah, where you show up to this like little reserve with a bunch of people churning butter the old way. No electricity, no Wi-Fi. Yeah. But anyway, no. So the John Carradine scenes are just edited in and they don't really make any sense with the plot. But I, they're cool. I mean, they make the movie more interesting. I guess I'm glad they're here. You really sold it there. <laughs> yeah. But can we play the, the scene where 
the the weird guy is carving the jack lantern at the fire and he tells him about the pumpkin jack legend it just feels like playing being forced to play any part of this film feels like coercion ah this film is beloved by many though thank you that's just as vague as the prophecy in this film let me point out that the prophecy is basically pumpkin head right like it's the monster even kind of looks like pumpkin head can we talk about how the cre- the starting credits in this film are like five minutes long i like them though they are very like classic horror movie like just creepy clouds and the music is repetitive in this movie but i i like it okay so yeah let's play this scene where we learn about the pumpkin head for the first time Mr. Jack will break your back. Cut off your head with a whack, whack, whack. There's a story behind that old nursery rhyme, Sean. Would you like to hear it? The pumpkin man will steal your soul, snap it up, and swallow it whole. Then just as quick, before you die, the pumpkin man will steal your eyes. Many years ago, on a night just like this, the men of Oakmore Crossing caught a murderer. The killer was a wicked old wizard. And before he was hung, he put a curse on the town. He told them a monster would come for them. Jacko, Mr. Jack, the pumpkin man. That Halloween, Jacko came back. A farmer got ready to fight the monster. It was on this old farm, right where we're sitting. But before he left, He said goodbye to his son, a little boy with the same last name as yours, Sean, a boy named Kelly. Wow. Hey, remember how we were having trouble recalling the whole backstory of the wizard? Well, there it is. He was a murderer who got caught. You know, it's you can forgive anybody watching this movie for forgetting that because you don't really get those kinds of vibes from Carradine, who's been long dead. No. This film, sitting in the woods, just talking about prophecies. No, he it died. It's not like he was wronged in some serious way. He died seven years before this movie, around 1985. But let me ask you, why is... So the guy telling Sean this story is, as far as I know, just a neighbor. Why are they sitting together in the woods? When you start asking questions like that, this movie is going to get very inconvenient very fast. Is is this a dream sequence or is it real? I assumed it was real because while these two are talking, a uh, meth addict approaches from the woods and starts spying on them. We later find out she's a witch. There is There are moments, though, where like, Sean will realize Sean is dreaming and then at one point he goes to the window and looks outside and then it turns out he's dreaming again and it's it's not done well you can't like there has to be something to indicate that you've entered 
an alternative reality, like a dream world. It Otherwise, it's just confusing because the same scenes are being repeated. Did you get that sense? Yeah, the editing here leaves a lot to be desired. Like the way this campfire story is told, it really feels like maybe this man who is kind of vaguely uncle-ish uh, told this kid, Sean, maybe five minutes of a story and then left out the remaining like 30 and then cut to him in his bedroom. Yeah. Like, uh, this we we only find out the story through multiple dream quote unquote flashbacks uh-huh like dream time traveling is the only reason we have any idea about what's going on also the the guy who's telling him the story comes off as a major creeper to me like strong pedophile vibes here I don't know about all that. No, not even when they go trick-or-treating at his house. Oh, I don't know if I'd go that far. Maybe just very socially awkward. A lot of the adults in this movie do tend to try to um, really stretch out this whole uh, be scared of me thing on Halloween. And it, it fails really bad. But they don't know when to stop. They just keep swimming deeper and deeper until they drown. Well, okay, so that's part of what I like about this movie, right? So a major plot strand of this movie is that Sean is this little kid and his parents are put on a haunted house, a spook house in the garage every year for charity. And so they're setting it up with, you know, decorations and the dad dresses like Dracula and does the Dracula voice all the time. And it's very cheesy and silly and like, my parents are embarrassing me on Halloween sort of thing. But it's also really nostalgic for me. Like, that's what I remember Halloween being like and the kinds of things that, like, my mom and I did on Halloween, like set up a spook house for the neighborhood or whatever. Um, we did those sorts of things. And so this is very... I like those scenes of, in this movie. They They really give me those warm, happy Halloween vibes. So I think it's going to seem like we're jumping around a lot in this episode, but that's because there's like seven different plots at the same time. And they um, all jump around equally. Yeah. So let's talk about when our one of our major characters is introduced for the first time. When Sean and two, of his, two other kids his age are walking down the street, they're talking about the pumpkin man, but there's also this woman they've seen around town that Sean's friend insists is a witch. And she happens to drive up. And the, the one girl is like, witches don't drive cars. And uh, he says, this, this little punk kid says, I'll prove it to you. Do you know what they used to do to witches? They used to throw rocks at them. And he starts throwing rocks at her car, but they don't even make it that far. They just kind of clatter onto the sidewalk. This was my first time watching Jacko. So for me, this is kind of like the canary in the coal mine. It's dead. It's dead in its cage already. And we're, what, six minutes into this movie? It, it's, it's quite an awkward scene. I'm not even sure why this kid thinks she might be a witch. Well, kids come up with dumb shit all the time, right? When they're like between the ages of like four and ten. 
Yeah, but I could understand she had like a weird hook nose or if she wore all black and a hat or something. But there's nothing about her that says witch to me. But they're actually right. Yeah. Yeah. And she also, I I will grant, has very strange facial expressions much of the time. Yeah. Whereas Sean's mom has something going on with her eyes. This woman has a very animated mouth like the way she enunciates everything it's like every muscle moves when she's speaking so she often seems really like angry or upset or suspicious like i read emotions into her performance that i don't think are intentional so it's very strange but the sean actually gets on to this other kid and tries to make him stop throwing rocks and the other kids you know gets on top of him and is going to beat him up and uh vivian the woman in the car comes and rescues sean and he's she asks if he wants a ride home and he very wisely says that he's not allowed to ride in cars with strangers and then she says well may i walk with you then and he says okay and so they walk back to his house did you find this odd Offering to walk him home wasn't really the odd part. But what happens when they get to the house is not really the oddest thing that happens in this film, but it's really the start of a lot of very strange behavior on part of all of the adults. Yeah, there's a little bit of like the Troll 2 thing to this movie where people are behaving in alien ways. But there's also just a lot of odd creative choices we'll get to them but places where i'm like i don't know why this is in here or i don't know why it's been done in this way but i at first i found it creepy that she wanted to walk him home and then i thought well maybe you know it makes sense because she wants to make sure he's okay right the other kid tackled him maybe he's hurt maybe he has a concussion like that's the generous reading of it but the true What's truly going on is that she has been stalking him in an attempt to meet him and ingratiate herself into the family, which is really weird. Like, I know her motivation is not sexual, but it's almost like pedophile behavior. Do you just think everyone in this movie is a pedophile? I don't know. There is some very, there is some weird crossing of boundaries for me. There is one very large boundary cross that we will get to. Yeah. I didn't get that sense in any other situation. I, it's, pedophile is a bad word. I, it's more so, and I think the mom is trying to project this. The, way, the, Vivi, the relationship Vivian is trying to form with Sean is weird and inappropriate. Yes, that I agree with. Vivian just transplants herself right into this family thanks to this uh, suburban dad who just lets everyone walk all over him. Yeah, he's really pitiful. He is really pitiful, and I I don't know why. But when the mom gets home and to find Vivian with her husband and her son, the way her eyes got big when she was out of the car, man, I thought she was going to be like, bitch, get away from my family. But no, it turns out that's just her regular face. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but there's she bounces back and forth between seeming really upset 
and distrusting of Vivian and being really uh, joyful and happy and friendly. Like as she gets out of the car, she has that really upset, disturbed look on her face. But then she very happily says, well, you'll have to stay for dinner. And I guess the the positive reading of that could be that she is, you know, masking her fury and her discomfort with with friendliness. But I don't think that's what's going on. So Sean goes inside the house where it turns into a sudden dreamscape. Yeah. So behind the house is night where he's roaming. But in front of the house, we see it's still day. Is that what it is? Because for me, it looked like he walked into the house and then suddenly it's a soundstage or they decided to put a propped up house entry in the middle of the woods where he then wanders into the woods and speaks with an actor who's been dead for eight years. Yeah, no, he definitely enters some kind of dream randomly. I'm just pointing out that Like, if you had any doubts, it has to be a dream because it's clearly night, whereas in the front of the house, it's day and was day only moments ago. So we know that he's entered some sort of alternative reality, but we find out later that he's been sleeping, that he's dreaming. Can we play this scene just so people can hear the kinds of things John Carradine says in this movie? If I have to. Yeah. He says partly, my will is much stronger than yours. Yeah, it gives off these like Emperor Palpatine vibes for no reason. That's because whatever this dialogue was, was for some other movie. There's little use in trying to resist me. My will is much stronger than yours. That 90s drum machine beat. Yeah, there are, like I said, there are moments where I really like the the score, but it gets repetitive. And there are long stretches of the movie with no score, which very much makes it feel like a home movie, which is sometimes I like when they're fun. But this doesn't feel like it's, I don't know, this, this feels like it's taking itself very seriously. Did it strike you that way? Yeah, for like half the film. Right. But after he wakes up from the dream, Vivian is like in his room. She's comforting him, wants to make sure he's okay. She's like, your dad says your favorite show is on. Let's go into the living room. And she sits right up next to him on the couch. And his mom is just like in the background watching. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. She comes downstairs with Sean and suddenly it's like, oh, you're mothering my son. And then those eyes are just fucking staring into Vivian's soul. Yeah. What do you think is like going through her head? Like, what do you think's up with the mom? Man, I, I don't think it's worth trying to overanalyze. I, like, I know we love to overanalyze scripts, especially scripts that have such obviously bad writing that we're putting more thought into it than the creation of it. But I don't think we should do that here. It's a trap. (laughs) So you're saying that we should just accept the mother as an absurd caricature. I think everyone in this movie is an absurd caricature. Yeah, that's fair. Except for Carradine, who is just the illusion of a character. 
Well, there's also the uh, there's also the favorite TV show. It happens to be like a a horror movie of the week type thing that's introduced by a host. And the host is played by Cameron Mitchell. And this footage was also shot for a different movie and just edited into this one. So it's really just an excuse to put Cameron Mitchell in the movie, although he was dead at this this point as well. How many Um, dead people are in this film? Two. Just the two. That's two more than most films at at the time of their premiere. (laughs) He, he's hosting a movie called or a show called Asylum of Horrors. But oddly enough, uh, a lot of horror movie fans will know Cameron Mitchell from having hosted uh, a compilation tape in the 80s called Terror on Tape, which was a promo tape for Continental, which had lots of great releases and beautiful big boxes. But uh, it's basically just a a compilation of all the gore scenes and Cameron Mitchell plays a creepy video store owner who like wants to show his customers the best scenes from the movies. So I just thought it was funny that we get a very similar character here. Did these scenes feel natural to you or did they feel just like, why the fuck is this here? I mean, it did feel a little meta, but yeah, it had absolutely no, nothing to do with the plot. So let's jump to one of the other plots uh which is we have this group of teenagers out in the woods they're trying to find the old kelly cemetery i don't know why but you know they're just out there drinking having beers wandering around trying to find the cemetery they're too old to trick or treat so this is how they're going to celebrate halloween by finding an old grave site getting drunk and then fucking on graves that's kind of the impression i got I will say all of these scenes out in the woods are really atmospheric and there's all the fog floating around and, you know, coming up out of the uh, branches. And I wish woods were this foggy in reality. Like, I I wish we could go to settings like this. But of course we can't because they're fake. If you take a fog machine with you, anywhere can be a foggy forest in the dark. I said, and your generator, right? Or, Or are there fog machines that are like battery? operated you could probably get something that's battery operated yeah anyway they find the cemetery pretty easily yeah Um, i mean it's pretty hard to miss all those styrofoam tombstones yeah they're very much styrofoam i i like it before they find it the the girl says this is the suburbs there aren't any dead people in the suburbs (laughs) and the oh honey Yeah, I thought about poltergeist, right? Built on top of the the burial ground. But there's there's lots of little one off lines like that in this movie, like really sassy. uh, It sound like 80s lines that I really appreciate. But all of the writing around them is atrocious. Oh, man. Yeah. One of the teenagers who obviously are probably in their early 30s. um, One of them finds a tombstone and he's like, hey. I found something old, <laughs> something dead. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the best line of the entire film. Yeah, I, I wrote that one in my notes. But then he like screams and I, is he hurt? Did he fake this? He's faking it. He's faking it to get attention. See them. There's lots of moments like that. Moments that 
I think are trying to be scary or funny, but the movie doesn't really make an effort to make them that way. So they just come off as flat and kind of confusing. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, I would say one of the most confusing parts of this film is that we have about like six scenes in a row introducing new characters. And as someone who is watching this the first time, I'm thinking, Jesus, when will this stop? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I felt like it was the pilot episode of a, of a soap opera. It just keeps introducing new characters constantly. And I'm like, oh, I got to follow all of this for, for Jacko 1995. And there it's not one of those where they're introducing characters just to kill them off a few minutes later. Nope. Like very few people actually die in this movie. You That's just have who does die is very memorable. Indeed. Yeah. But there, this movie almost strikes me as like the director or the screenwriter had so many different ideas and he just wanted to make sure he got it all in. But it doesn't all work together. Like the, the neighbors, the conservative neighbors that watch the like Rush Limbaugh show. What do you think of them? Why are they here? Why are they in this movie? <laughs> That's exactly why I'm bringing them up. So this, I just call this the yuppie couple, right? They they look down on everyone else in the neighborhood. And let's play the first scene where we meet them and they're listening to the this guy who's just like Rush Limbaugh on TV. For what it's worth, before we play this scene, we are well aware that this shit is way too on the nose. Well, it's it's too on the nose to be truly like ironic or satirical. Right. It's but at the same time, this was a little bit exaggerated, I think, in 1995. It's not remotely exaggerated now. Oh, you know, I didn't consider that. Yeah. I mean, Rush Limbaugh was talking like this, but it was not quite at this level. Like there's definitely some uh, some prophesizing going on here. The, the dog whistle was uh, it's louder now. It's yeah. louder now than it was then. Yeah. And now with tonight's commentary, Dr. Tom Mason. I am sick and tired of real Americans having to apologize for not being homeless, disabled, or a minority. <laughs> Where does this come from? Pure white trash. Carolyn Miller moves in across the street and our property values plummet. She's a divorced woman, Amanda, simple as that. We're lucky she doesn't have children. If she were a dog, I'd have her spayed. Yeah, so that so I don't know why any of this is here. Uh it it doesn't match anything else in the movie tonally. Apparently the director based this on some real neighbors that he had as a kid. But that doesn't mean it belongs in your movie. I guess he was just looking for justified victim deaths. So here you go, Jacko. You can have these two. Not all of us were born with love and respect for fine things. No, we aren't all born with it hardly. You've seen the world we are in today. We're hardly born with that. So I have to learn it the hard way. Oh, love all your neighbors, certainly. Love your neighbors. They're real Americans. But if they're bleeding hard liberals... And they don't deserve to live. They don't deserve to breathe the air that you could be breathing. Just think of that. They're stealing your air. 
stealing your hair. You, don't tell me you can't imagine Trump saying that. Uh, Trump could easily say that. Not Trump. I think it would be uh, what Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker that's... Carlson could definitely say it too. I, I see him saying that. Yeah. Well, around this time, we also get introduced to Linnea Quigley's character by way of a how many minutes is this shower scene? Uh, it, it's probably just above a minute. So it, one, I, I want to talk about how jarring this is because again, okay. it's the first time I saw this movie. Right. Maybe a few minutes before the scene, we have Sean's parents discussing getting a babysitter for him while they manage the spook house. Is that what they call it? Yeah. God, it still sounds vaguely racial spook house. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so instead of having Sean be part of the experience, they're going to have him uh, chaperoned by a babysitter while he's trick-or-treating. Which seems really strange to me, but whatever. It seemed strange to me as well. In fact, all of the dynamics and behavior of this family seems strange. Yeah, so uh, apparently this was the plan all along, but they didn't properly plan getting the babysitter. So they decide to call her out of the blue. Um, that said, this babysitter is only mentioned maybe once while they're discussing what to do with Sean during Halloween. And then right after something completely unrelated, we are treated to at least a minute of this very gratuitous nude showering scene. Very unnatural. No one would ever act like this. And it goes, it just keeps going. Yeah, I mean... Star Wars text crawl. You don't know when it's going to stop. It just keeps going. Uh, this movie is known for this scene. And <clears throat> one of the disagreements between the directors and the commentary was that the director felt like this scene was gratuitous and unnecessary. And Fred Olin Ray was like, people want to see tits, man. Like we got to put this in the movie. <laughs> so, put this in the film. <laughs> but I also, I mean, Linnea quickly got, she must've gotten naked in every movie she was ever in. Like this was her thing. And my impression is that it's something she genuinely liked was to flaunt her body. So I don't feel like this is exploitive of her at all. It, she Everything I know about her says that she was like game for this and thought it was fun. Um, but it does feel a bit extra. Oh, yeah. We're, we're not knocking her or the this, this scene in general. It's just very out of place for what we thought this movie, for what this movie was trying to be. Yeah. But I clearly had no idea what this film wanted to be. And apparently neither did the director the director and producer they didn't know either uh, well she finally gets to the phone and she says that she'll she has a halloween party to go to but she'll babysit for the first half and then her younger sister who's staying with her can take over for the second half oh my god that was so convoluted what did you think of this character the sister before we even get to the sister, I just remembered when the babysitter is first brought up, the father is like, I really like her. And the mom's just like, in your dreams, instead of, I don't know, fucking killing him. No, he says, I think she likes me. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. But the dad says several weird things like, all right. So when she says, 
when the mom says she's going to call Caroline, which is the Linnea Quigley character, Sean, the little boy, gets this weird grin on his face and says, oh, she's nice. And the dad says the dad says something like, yes, she is. And I think she likes me. And I'm like, who says this in front of their wife? It's it doesn't come off as like playful. It's weird. The I thing is starting to make sense now. Yeah, I, I there were several moments where I was like, why is this wife putting up with any of this? She is like one sp- like spilled glass away from murdering this entire family. Oh, my God. When they started talking about the babysitter, my first thought was, please let her be an adult, please. <laughs> why the past history of stuff we have watched it's like please just be of age <laughs> That's uh, i mean she kind of turns sitters typically aren't they're like high schoolers just trying to make some money on the side that's why her age seems weird and ambivalent in this movie to me but well, they, they clearly state she's divorced like how many divorced like mid-teens do you know right yeah but she kind of turns into the <laughs> She kind of turns into the hero of this movie, like to the degree that this movie has a hero. She's the one that like actually cares about and helps protect Sean competently. Right. And there's not much competence on display in front of or behind the camera in this movie. Yeah. So then over gratuitous shower scene. Somehow she gets roped into babysitting anyway. And then we're introduced to the sister and, um, the sister is, you know, a cardboard cutout of your typical early 90s rebel where all she wants to do is drink, fuck, and not go to work in an office. Her and her boyfriend just wear a bunch of black leather and ride a Harley. And apparently they love throwing trash on the lawn. Let's play the scene where they show up and Caroline tells Sean that he's her boyfriend. You're like a little boy about all the scary stuff. I guess it keeps me young. I like little boys. That's a nice bike your friend has there. Go look at it. Look, uh, but don't touch. All right. How awkward is that scene? Oh, God. I was not ready for that. Yeah, because when when the dad says, look, but don't touch about the bike, he like winks or, you know, does something else to show that it's supposed to be uh, a pun but it's and and when she says I like little boys like both of them are really inappropriate flirtations in front of the kid that are phrased quite badly do you think that this was supposed to be like self-aware and ironic uh (laughs) like who thinks it's okay to have the line I like little boys in your movie all all we know is we know which one of the the two were directing this day because it wasn't the other one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, the boyfriend just lets Sean climb onto the bike and uh, rides around. And uh, the dad, he, the dad says no, but he just stands by ineffectually. Like he doesn't even try to intervene. Actually, you know what? Here's why this scene was allowed to fly. Because it's a little boy and a grown-ass woman. If it was the other way around, this film would have got thrown in the dumpster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's, uh, I think a lot of this is that Linnea is flirting with a little boy. And 
when she says I like little boys, she says it to an adult. So like there's there's a lot of stuff that we just let fly in this scene, but it's quite uncomfortable. It's not specific to this film either. The early mid 90s were notorious for this shit where you would have some kids movie starring, you know, um, young male actor. And then he would have some sort of pseudo adult love interest that would be they would kind of play off each other the whole film. And as a kid, you don't really think much about it. But really, you know, any adult watching this shit should have been like something's not right here. I do think it was a trope and kind of still is for like the little kid to have the attractive female babysitter that he has a hopeless crush on. I mean, we just watched the pit, right? Which takes this, which takes this concept to the extreme, but I don't think this is unique to this movie. I think the big difference between this and the pit is one, the pit was somehow a better movie and two, the babysitter was clearly not interested in the kid because it's a kid. Here, it is very ambivalent. We need to go back to the kids in the woods so we can actually introduce Jacko because they end up pulling up this cross in the graveyard, which was apparently the only thing keeping Jacko in the ground. And so he is able to return. But there's a disarmingly and oddly beautiful scene where this girl is running it's like a chase through the woods and the camera follows her beautifully and the score kind of reminds me of tubular bells like from the exorcist and it's uh i don't know i just thought this was like a beautifully shot scene in the middle of an otherwise white bread movie you know what might have happened Maybe the director was on one set and the producer was on another set and they were creating these scenes independently according to some sort of plan. And then it wasn't until they got back together when they realized what had happened. Maybe. Where, you know, one of the sides is like, you know, trying to make that artistic film that this supposed to be taken seriously. Meanwhile, what is their two minutes of new showering doing here? Yeah, I it's been a long time since I listened to that commentary, but I I remember that being the central contention was like whether this was a sleaze film or an upstanding horror film with apparently a family focus. Like this really does feel like a goosebumps episode or an are you afraid of the dark episode aside from the shower. But Vivian is kind of standing back watching all of this. So she's obviously aware of Jacko and what he's doing, but we don't know what's going on with her yet. What did you think about this? Because this is probably the most mysterious part of the movie with what is what's her deal? Well, we already know she's going to have some major play in the conclusion of the film because she is present during the telling of the story in the woods. She's really set up to be an actual witch that is... I guess we don't know if she's going to be for or against Jacko, but I don't know. I never really got the impression that she was going to be some sort of antagonist, like surprise antagonist in the end. No, it, it is odd because she tells us that her family and Sean's family, the Kellys, were 
rivals at one point. And one of their, her family, I think, is the one that unleashed Jacko to begin with. Do I have that right? Was her family part of the Carradine? Guys. Yeah, because, he has a lo- she has a locket with his face on it. Right, and she has an old Bible with his picture in it. So I but think how he's... Their, how are their families rivals when he was just some traveling murderer through the town that they just happened to catch? Or is that propaganda? Is that a false narrative that we're just being forced to believe? My, if I remember incorrectly, <laughs> it's the, the, John Carradine is the one who summoned the pumpkin man, and then Joe or the Kellys were the ones who ended up killing it, but the the great grandfather who ever died in the process, right? And so I think that's become like a grudge. But I don't know. I may be reading far more into it than is actually there. I just don't think the actual setup was the setup of this film does not have a solid foundation, and so when we try to go back and piece together how this entire film relates to the backstory it's trying to to push on us we're just going to get disappointed do you want do you want to keep doing that to yourself no but let's play the scene where where vivian tells about the history of the families and and then we can clear up any misconceptions will it though We'll get closer to the truth. That's all we can do. Making it sound like this is some fucking X-File. Walter Mackin was accused of sorcery. He was linked to the disappearance of many innocent townsfolk. 81 years ago this night, Arthur and Daniel Kelly led the mob that lynched Walter Mackin. That's terrible. Before the rope bit into his neck, Walter vowed revenge. He said the streets of Oakmore Crossing would run red with the blood of the Kelly clan, or anyone connected with them within one year's time. According to legend, his prophecy almost came true. Halloween night, 1915, something came out of the ground and took Mackin's bloody revenge. You said almost? Arthur Kelly stopped the evil thing Mackin raised up from hell. He stopped its mission of vengeance, but at the cost of his own life. Mind you, most of it's just legend. I'm just trying to separate fact from fiction. What about my ancestors? You said they lynched Walter Mackin? Oh, that part's true. But don't worry. Time heals all wounds. So that's the, that's the story. Yeah, Walter Mackin, these bitches, is summoned a pumpkin demon as part of some sort of family blood feud. For I guess being caught for murder and getting executed. Wow. And then Vivian happens to show up on the very Halloween that some stupid teenagers accidentally free the pumpkin man. Or do you think that the the pumpkin man was exerting some kind of magic that just drew them to him? As a witch, maybe she just kind of divined what was going to happen and put herself in the proper place to deal with the fallout. Uh, See, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I wanted to avoid. Shit like this. And you just keep roping me back into it. I can't help it. It's in my nature. Uh, but I really like after that scene we just played, Sean's mom is telling his dad that 
Vivian makes her uncomfortable. I, I love this kitchen because it's one of those kitchens that's separate from the living room slash dining room, but it has like the open window where you can hold, like hang like glasses and shit from it. Right. right above the sink. But it's a fucking magic kitchen. It's one of those kitchens where you can talk shit about anybody and no one will hear it outside of that like viewing window. Indeed. And I love it. It's the, the same thing as in Frasier. The- <laughs> Kelsey yeah. Trammer has the same kitchen in his apartment. It's almost always true of sitcoms, I feel like. People can just walk into the room next door and be and speak as loudly as they want and no one can hear. But yeah, the mom is saying that Vivian makes her uncomfortable with all of the talk about witches and magic. But I also think she's uncomfortable because of the way she behaves with her son. But the dad says, it's Halloween. Lighten up. And storms out. I thought that was great. And then the follow-up was Vivian going into the kitchen and standing way too close to the wife, mom, and, oh my God, everybody seems to stand so close to each other in this film. Did you notice that? There's no personal boundary. I suspect that they had limit, they, they had limited uh, vision of how a, a shot could be composed. They wanted both people in the center of the frame and probably close to any sound equipment. That's my guess. Well, okay, that makes sense. Or we can just chalk it up to more of like the inhuman behavior that we witness throughout the entire film. Yeah. So Jacko is free now and is is wandering around. And the first time he kills someone is the conservative neighbor guy. He and the wife are angry because kids are knocking on the door for trick or treat. Wait, wait, correction. He kills the teens that revive him in the graveyard first. Oh, oh, yes. But this he is our- this, he has this big ass fucking scythe that he carries around. But he kills everybody almost primarily by just doing a very accurate like five inch cut on everyone's necks. Yeah, I made a note in my notes that uh, his accuracy is really impressive. Oh, outstanding. Natural 20s the whole way. Like he can swing that sky through the air and it just creates a little perfect slit in the person's neck. But anyway, the the yuppie couple are watching the Rush Limbaugh guy again and the kids knock on the door, which pisses them both off. And one of them says, oh, did you leave the porch light on? She says, must I do everything for you? And he says, yes. And I thought that was stunning. I couldn't well, believe yeah, he said yes. It's on brand for this conservative family. Uh, I guess. it's supposed to, The system is supposed to be in place already. You're not supposed to draw attention to it. You're just supposed to adhere to the rules. It, it, it doesn't feel like intentional satire. It feels like he's just making a mockery of these neighbors he's had as a kid. It, I don't know. It's strange. But he yells out, I'm coming, little parasites. And that sounded like a John Waters line, and I appreciated it. But he tells the kids, like, Do you, does this look like a candy store? Like, if you want something from me, you have to pay for it. And so the kids TP his yard. What did you think of their TPing? 
pretty fucking lame. There's five rolls thrown over the roof and not even all the way. Yeah, it is the worst job I've ever seen. Like they literally just throw the, the toilet paper roll up onto the roof halfway and let a single strand of paper hang down. Either they did not have enough people to help clean a real TP job or they just did not want to spend the budget wasting all that toilet paper. Yeah. But anyway, when the when the guy storms out, that's when Jacko gets in. Up until this point, it was weird because we see Jacko near lots of different people that he doesn't kill. Do you think there's something where he only kills people who like provoke him? Like some sort of uh, like chaotic, good demon Avenger? Right. Uh, well, I mean, he is killing people outside of the normal blood curse. But all right. So the teenagers, they defaced a graveyard, right? So they got to go. This conservative couple have absolutely no, like no modern decency. So they got to go. Well, not just that, but the the husband confronts Jacko in the yard and is like, you know, he thinks he's a kid trick or treating. And he's like, you know, yells at him and tells him to get out of there. And, uh, and he does. He gets the yeah. fuck out. Yep. Jacko doesn't follow through until like a couple scenes later because we yeah. got to draw this fucking film out. <laughs> Um, there's, there's something weird that happens here too. Couple houses over at Sean's house, he's setting up the spook house in the garage and he kind of sees Jacko walk by, but he's distracted by noise. And then he sees what I think is a dad and daughter trick or treating. And he has a very strange expression on his face. Like as if, as if the girl is being kidnapped. What is with you? And everyone thinking everyone's part of some pedophile human trafficking ring. No, that's just everyone's awkward fucking facial expressions in this film. I suppose so. But we should we should mention that after the conservative neighbor gets killed by Jacko, uh, his wife also dies. What did you think of her death? Why? Why was this here? I I she is British. She is, or at least she is faking a British accent. I think it's that. Yeah. Um, I have once met a couple that were like in their mid forties and they were both clearly American, but the wife would, was faking a British accent like regularly. Yeah. They think it's like, you know, upper class, I guess. Can you imagine being married to someone like that? And you're like, oh, I guess that's just what she wants to do. No. God, that'd be miserable. Wait, so yeah. I, so that may be what, what's going on here. But she's making toast at night to go with their TV dinners. <laughs> the scene of them eating TV dinners cracked me up. And I don't know why it doesn't belong in the movie, but it did. It's because they're like, we're high class and better than everyone else. And then they're just eating like microwave dinners. I think and it's, that's the, the joke. And maybe I've forgotten what microwave dinners looked like in the 90s, but these look even older to me. These look like like the early microwave dinners, the very stereotypical like, uh, you know, man and his housewife eating in front of their first color TV. To be fair, they probably were higher quality back then. Yeah, I imagine so. 
Yeah, not like it is now. Not that I've had a TV dinner recently, but no, they are now infamously um, poor quality. So she she hears her husband scream, and she runs inside and says, "I gotta get a weapon," which seems wise, but she doesn't close the door. She just leaves it open, even though Jacko is chasing after her. Oh my god! No, so much is wrong with this scene. So she goes out thinking her husband's fucking with her. Finds, finds the husband dead, turns immediately, runs back into the house, turns all the lights off, leaves the door open, and proceeds to crawl through the living room into the kitchen. Yeah, I don't understand any of but this. Even before all of this, when she was starting to make toast, she actually got shocked by the toaster. At that point, you got to unplug that shit, get it checked out. <laughs> I've never been electrocuted by a toaster or any of my kitchen appliances, but if I did, I would not use them. Well, somehow she proceeds to stab the knife into the toaster. She takes the knife up as a weapon, slips on a rug in the kitchen, and goes straight blade first into one of the toaster compartments and electrocutes herself to the point of turning into like a brown grizzled <laughs> mummy dude i thought she was gonna explode i thought she was too i i was like you know this she's gonna blow up she is gonna happen and i'm kind of sad it didn't in the special effects are it, it's like the old fashioned where you would actually draw the lightning onto the film like hand draw it on that's how it's done how long do you think this process took? I mean, here it's not like it's done that well. It looks pretty sloppy. I can't imagine anyone investing much time into this film. Just imagine being the one special effects guy that spends like three days of solid work on this. And this is, this is the kind of movie it was in. I haven't even asked, what do you think of Jacko, of his look? I have a hard time affiliating like jack-o'-lanterns with demons i don't know it just doesn't seem like halloween aesthetic is appropriate for demonic forces feels more of like a spectral thing mm. well assuming you were okay with the design do you think they did a good job like does he look cool I mean, his big ass dude with a pumpkin for a head i mean it's all right i think he looks fun for like okay, like if okay if he was in a serious horror film it ain't there right he yeah, looks he, like he looks he's clean cartoony for that. He does look like he'd be great as like a horror mascot at like a, a haunted house or like universal house or something like that. Like a universal theme park house, Halloween Horror Nights. Like he'd be great for that. That's a good call. I also think that he would be like he'd, he'd fit in a Goosebumps episode or yeah, Are or You like Afraid a, of the yeah, Dark? Like, yeah, yeah. Like family friendly horror, except for the fact he's like gutting people with his scythe. Yeah, isn't there, is it Halloween Town? Isn't there like a Disney movie where everyone looks like this? Um, Nightmare Before Christmas? No, no, it's it's like a real, it's a um, live action movie. And it's about a town full of monsters, but they all just look like this with like human bodies, but, you know, monster masks on. Dude, I have no idea, man. I, I don't watch children's films very often. and um, I don't either. I think my wife likes it. But no, I think he looks pretty. He looks fine. He, he fits the movie. 
but I really, I really like after she electrocutes herself, we see Jacko. He just kind of backs away. Yeah, he's like, well, my job is done here. Yeah, he's like, bitch did my work for me. <laughs> this is truly a different time. <laughs> this was actually one of the moments of the film where I, if they, I think they were trying to be intentionally humorous and it worked for me. Yeah, you know, they were actually trying to be ridiculous as opposed to accidentally being ridiculous like the rest of the movie. Let's talk about the spook house. What did you think of it? Um, it's a foggy garage. Have you ever been to one of these where you reach your hand through the thing and touch the guts or the eyeballs? I don't think I've actually done that. I know what it is, but I don't think so. I've been to some that do. Uh, but they've been like local ones that have been put on by a church or, you know, by parents group or something, not like the professional ones that you pay to see. I mean, I've been to some sick independent haunted houses. I just don't think they were like offering bowls for you to shove your hand into to get all your fucking daily germs onto. We went to one last night. We went to the, the Scream Forest, the one that you went with us that was like the long walk through the woods. Mm -hmm. And this year they had changed it where it was much longer because they took you on this maze all the way around like the edge of the woods with almost no lights. Like we it was like actually being in the woods trying to figure out where the fuck you have to walk to get back to civilization. And everybody was confused about like, oh, where do we go? So on the one hand, it was it was like a cool experience. But on the other there's no like decorations during this part or um, actors who are trying to scare you. It's just very faint torches, barely lighting your way. You should have brought a fog machine. Oh, there were plenty of those going. It was cool. It was, it was, uh, I just, I don't know that I, I don't know that I loved that part. But anyway, so in this garage, they do have the thing where you reach through and touch like the grapes or eyeballs and the spaghetti is guts. They've got a witch that hangs from the ceiling and goes like, ooh, when you... Um, oh, man, clap. that noise. Oh, yeah, you well, don't hear that very often. I, I like these things. I think they're cool. Like, I think everything in the garage is cool. I, I, would, I would totally pay to go to a, one of my neighbor's houses if they did this. Oh, yeah, for like, like a dollar? Sure, have it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to see something like this. I think it's cool. But... The the two neighborhood kids, the ones who are like some who got in the fight with Sean, they're in there and they see Jacko from I don't I have no idea how he got in there, but he's like behind the curtain that where the eyeballs are. And so they run screaming, and Sean's dad is like, Oh, well, we really scared him. Um, but then he goes in to investigate because he thinks maybe they broke something. And I found this really weird. The mom yells back, like, you know, how is it in there? And he says, it's dark in here, mommy. Did, did you find that strange? Uh, I mean, that used to be a thing. I, I know, and it's weird. It's always been weird to me. But I couldn't tell if that's what's going on here or if he's trying to make a joke, like she's trying to check up on him like a uh, mother yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know man i i stopped questioning shit in this film this, it, this, we, you're we're like 
two thirds into the film at this point, I've stopped questioning. There are there's so many moments where I just can't figure out what the reasoning was for that decision. But one of which is there's an excursion where the Linnea Quigley's sister goes out in the woods with her boyfriend on his motorcycle and they start to make out and uh, get sexy. And she's actually being really like aggressive with him, uh, saying like, I bite. But uh, she hears something in the woods that freaks her out and she wants to go. And he gets pissed off. He's like, why are you putting your top back on? Like, what's going on? Um, you just totally glossed over the fact that she takes her top off and the camera literally only has her tits in frame for multiple scenes. It's it's very Fred Olin Ray. Like, that is Fred Olin Ray. Like, it's... You know, you have exploitation films that, like, at least try to kind of include other stuff. No, this is literally just two tits right in frame from more than one scene. Like, it's separated into parts. But, but there's no confusion as to what the director's intent here would be none whatsoever well he gets mad when she puts her top back on and he just leaves her there oh yeah because you know blue balls is a serious offense in the 90s well in the 2000s and you know there are there are toxic men that don't handle that shit very well well when they're reunited he says are you still mad at me and she's like no (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's not a problem at all that you left me a mile out in the woods on Halloween night where there's like creeps around. No problem. But this is where the movie gets really chaotic and it's jumping between all the characters because basically Jacko is just wandering around town killing people and everyone is trying to find everyone else. This script needed to be trimmed down substantially to just a few members a characters to focus on because there's just too much going on here too much back and forth now if it was if this was a movie that like commanded that kind of respect that valued our time enough to like make us want to appreciate each and every person that it's bringing into our lives great it would have been fine but all of these characters, save for the babysitter, are very forgettable. And they're all, all of the actors are so wooden and the performances are so weird that they don't seem like real people. So it's impossible to like identify with anyone. But to the extent that I do, I just want the movie to focus on like Sean, his parents, and Vivian. All the other stories. Babysitter. Maybe. No, you do not have a movie without her. All right, that's fair. But you don't need any of those other storylines. It's just a distraction. But we need to talk about when Vivian finally admits to Sean's parents like what's going on. And she says that she's essentially using Sean as a decoy because she's hunting the demon. But she also says that there's a prophecy that only the fifth generation Kelly of the Kelly family can kill the creature and this that's is the shit that i'm talking about this is the shit that i'm talking about who wrote this <laughs> nobody wrote this 
Yeah. Fifth generation. Can you even have five generations in 90 years? I, I mean, he is like 10. So it's early in this generation. Like what did, are these families popping out? How? Okay. Let's try to do some napkin math here. From 1915, how many marriages and, and births would you need to fit a 10-year-old into 1995 as being the fifth generation? Like, are we looking at a bunch of teenage pregnancies here leading up to, to Sean? Perhaps. You know, I can't figure out quite what's going on with Jacko because Vivian in this scene says that it has to kill Sean before Sean kills it. But there's tons of scenes where it's just standing around watching Sean. Like it has so many opportunities to kill Sean and it doesn't even try. And then when it does eventually corner Sean, it doesn't kill him. It abducts him. Right. In fact, not only does it abduct him, this demon, this demon from hell who was summoned to kill people from hell is carrying a bottle of fake blood to spray on a window to try to trick his family into thinking that, that he had actually killed Sean instead of abducting him. What the fuck? I don't think that's what happened in that scene. So we see that Sean gets um, like a, a juice while he's trick-or-treating. Uh-huh. It's like one of those juice mugs or a squeeze it. I don't know. Do you, did you ever get yes, squeeze it? I, I know what you're talking about. That's no, the thing, actually. But did you get them trick-or-treating ever? No, never. I did once. I, I distinctly remember as a kid being given a squeeze it. Um, I mean, that's not the worst thing I could have got. Right. But anyway, so that someone gave him that. And I think that when he's struggling and banging on the window, he throws it at the window to try to get their attention. His hand smears on the window. Yeah. And it is not, that is not squeezing consistency. It, it is supposed to look like blood. It is like fake blood. It's, it's very confusing. I really, I was trying to make up some logic for this scene, but. No, I don't. Stop trying to save this movie, man. This house has been burning down for, let's see, an hour and like 15 minutes at this point. There's no way you can save it. The family inside is dead. Do not risk your life running into this building. There's no one to save. And what's worse is that when the family comes out onto the patio, all of that red juice is gone off the window. Yep. Fuck. (laughs) And Vivian runs back and picks up a container, which I thought was the juice container. It could be juice. It could be fake blood. Who knows? Yeah. She's like, well, it's not blood. But at this point, they don't trust her at all. They think she's terrible. And she's like this woods witch. (laughs) Right. And she acts really strange. And she's given absolutely no indication of how exactly she can help Sean. No. Maybe she should have started out with that. They say they want to call the police. And she's like, the police can't help you. They're powerless against a demon. (laughs) And there's lines like that that I think are supposed to be tongue in cheek that could be really funny. But since the movie is made as if it's serious, it doesn't work. But what did you think of the, the confrontation when Vivian finally confronts Jacko? Oh, God. All right. So we first we find out that Sean is not dead, that he was just abducted. 
I don't know. Do you want to accuse Jacko of being a pedophile human trafficker while we're at it? Sure. All right, sure. Okay, so we got that out of the way. It's the first thing Vivian does when they roll up on scene in the family Cadillac is they uh, they start they start making a cross out of wood. But what's fucking bizarre is that they try to balance the wood on the bumper of the car when uh-huh. they're trying to hammer it together. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then it, they switch scenes to something else. And then when they switch back, now they're trying to hammer it on the ground as if they tried it on the bumper and it didn't work. What I was really hoping for, I was really hoping they were hammering the cross to the to the fucking sedan so that they could run over Jacko with like fucking holiness. Oh, I no, that's so, way too creative. I'm so sad that that wasn't what was going on. Way too creative for this movie. But I was going to say, I'm pretty sure the sticks that they hammer together are the exact same sticks from the colonial time flashback. Or yeah. not, I guess it's I guess it's not colonial time. I guess it's like 19th century. Yeah, well, you would think it's colonial times with how it's presented. It I know. Like they're living in the frontier. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it's the exact same sticks or or uh they're fake not sticks. Even, yeah, they're not even wood. Because you can see the cross like wiggle as in, in this scene specifically as they like thrust it at Jacko. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really think it's styrofoam, just like the tombstones. I don't think it's styrofoam. I think it's a rubber cross. Uh, maybe. It's weird. Like, how hard is it to just nail two pieces of wood together? Uh, uh, some, like going, but... I just feel like going through the trouble of making a giant rubber wooden cross is way more effort than you need to do for this film. There was some stagehand who was like, you know what? I can do it better. I can do it better than real wood. Hey, well, it looks like uh, the insurance company called and we can't use real wood for the cross because it can give splinters. (laughs) Perhaps. But Sean, who has been buried in this, luckily it has to be a shallow grave, right? The, the, The legend even says it has to be a shallow grave. So he's buried in a shallow grave, which is like an inch of dirt on top of him. This kid gets buried alive. Even with an inch of dirt, you could suffocate if you can't get out. Sure. How long is he under there for? (laughs) It it seems unnecessarily long. (laughs) Maybe when they were like, Sean has to die first. Maybe they meant like he needs to... I don't know, lose oxygen to his brain to get some permanent damage before he can revive and dig himself back out. I don't know, but he easily digs out. And and just like just like Alejandro Jodorowsky, who emerges from the mountain in El Topo as a reborn messiah figure. So we get a new and improved Sean. He immediately yells, leave my mom and dad alone. In a painfully, painfully bad overacted line. This whole movie's painful, man. <laughs> this doesn't stand out. <laughs> he says, he says, come get me, pumpkin man. And then we see him shove the cross into Jacko while his dad pushes on Jacko from behind. And Jacko burns into a horrible CGI flame and disappears. Wow, it's finally over. And oh, then, wow, you know what we completely missed over? The witch tries 
the most pathetic thing ever at, to confront Jacko, and he is not having it. He just immediately impales her on the scythe, lifts her up, which is clearly a dummy at this point, uh-huh. and then heaves her into the woods where she dies. Yeah, it's not a conflict at all. It's it's like swatting a fly. She literally approaches Jacko, like literally, like in a book, approaches Jacko without having the cross up. You have one tool to help you defeat this thing that you've been studying for your entire life, and you yeah. leave it somewhere not in front of you. Here's the true tragedy of this movie is that Vivian has dedicated her entire life to finding the person who can defeat Jacko, overseeing his rise from the dead and killing him for all eternity and avenging this historical injustice. And she does absolutely nothing. Literally, all of the events of this movie would have transpired exactly the same if she had never been in it. Well, she did nail the cross together. All right. Maybe she gave some guidance. That was her entire character arc. She nailed two pieces of wood together. (laughs) Yeah, this is not like a like a Gandalf sacrificing himself so Frodo can live sort of thing. This is just, she died having accomplished nothing. Her sense of hubris and arrogance was her undoing. But the mo- after, after Jacko burns up, the movie takes on this very strange tone to me. It's almost like, you've seen something epic transpire because we hear a rooster crow and it's the sun starts to come up and the father says very solemnly, it's almost dawn. Let's go home. And then Sean says, I have something to do first. And we see him laying the scythe on his great grandfather's grave, like very ceremoniously. And then Linnea's little sister crawls out of a drain pipe and is reunited with her sister. (laughs) She casually tells her sister that the pumpkin man got her boyfriend. There's like a brief moment where Linnea quickly is like, where, where is, I forget his name. And she's like, oh, the pumpkin man got him. And they kind of shrug. And say, okay, <laughs> like it's, it seems so casual. And then they meet up with the family. I'm assuming in front of the house. Yeah. They all have a weird group hug. And despite having witnessed like four people getting murdered, they all have a good laugh and go get some breakfast. Yep. Sean says, do I have to go trick or treating next year? Like joking late, right? It'll all be okay. Bruh, you watched Vivian get absolutely obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> now you just want to go get some fucking waffles. Yeah. No trauma here. <laughs> A repression every day. <laughs> it's the American way. All right. Let's give final thoughts and a rating out of four. Uh, you know, Luke, I think the acting could have used a little bit of work here. Perhaps. <laughs> This film needed more consistency. There needed to be more of a vision, a guiding vision here to see everything through to the end. This is a great example of 
why it's important to plan out your movie or your creative work in general and maybe not ad-lib so much on the fly. You should also make sure that you're on the same page as the rest of the crew that is responsible for making your film so that you don't end up making this uh, very confused monstrosity, uncertain of your ultimate end goal. The script's not great. The acting's not great. It, you know, save for the babysitter. Tonally, this movie's confusing. There's too many characters. There's not even a proper backstory. And this is a film that focuses on a prophecy. It's, it's just not there. It is the most Halloween film. I will give it that. Of the four that we watched, it is very Halloween. It's on Halloween itself for the majority of the film. But I did not enjoy watching this. <laughs> Luke, not even tits could save this film. <laughs> the best part of Jacko is the special effects, minus the toaster scene. All of the the, the kill effects, the blood, the, the, the gore, all of that was really well done for what they had to work with. But unfortunately, that's pretty much it. I'm confused as to why they even used Carradine, maybe for star power in the name. So my understanding, Fred Olin Ray had the rights to these scenes with John Carradine and the scenes with Cameron Mitchell. And he dared the author of this film, Brad Lenaweaver, to write a story incorporating these, this footage that they happen to own the rights to. And that's how this movie was birthed. And so the impetus for the movie was actually those scenes. Fucking wow. You know, their, their pursuit in making this film is not unlike Vivian's quest. They nailed two pieces of wood together and then promptly died. <laughs> but unfortunately, like the script, there is no Christ-like Sean figure to save us from this viewing. The damage has been done, and I don't think it's reparable. I'm going. I'm rating this movie half a star. <laughs> wow. <laughs> has there have there been any other half stars? The child. Oh, the child was a half. Yeah, I would say this is probably on par with The Child for different reasons. Okay. Well, I certainly don't think this is a good movie. I am not a Fred Olin Ray fan. I, I know there I know there are people who love his films who think they're really fun. Um, I, I typically don't. But uh, with that said, I love how much Halloween is in this movie. It is nostalgic for me. It reminds me of my sort of suburban Halloweens as a kid and the sorts of things that I liked to do, like set upon in houses. So I, I do put this on usually every Halloween. I don't usually pay attention to it. I just put it on in the background and like I can look up now and then and see some cool Halloween decorations and hear some spooky music. But to actually sit and like carefully watch this movie as I did for this podcast, is not really fun because it, it is really bad. And it's really clumsy at trying to not only incorporate the footage that was literally filmed as part of other stories, but also all its own disparate stories that don't fit together and seem like unnecessary diversions from the main character and, and his deal. 
which I think is the number one flaw with this movie is the acting is atrociously bad. The kid is the worst offender. He's the director's son. I totally get why you put him in the movie, but it was a bad decision. There are moments where like we didn't talk about it, but there's a point where we see him for quite a while in close up watching TV and the look on his face. It maybe it comes from just having watched the pit, but it's like a malevolent evil look. I almost thought, well, he's possessed somehow. Like there's some force that's going to guide him towards the pumpkin man. But no, none of that happens. But I think I think this is totally worth watching just to look at the Halloween decorations. And and I think the pumpkin man himself is, is cool. Uh, but otherwise, this is this is painfully bad. It's not a half star, though. I, there is a story here. It's coherent. It's not painful. It's close. It's close. I'm going to give it one. One star. <laughs> but I still think it's a fun Halloween movie. Even if it's bad, I think it's worth putting on, especially if you've never seen it, just because it really is. a. It, this is the, the closest to a 90s Halloween for kids that I've seen on film. Now that the Halloween season is ending, uh, November, we're going to focus on dinners on Thanksgiving dinners where people come together and enjoy food with one another. And yeah, so we'll just let you be surprised each week with uh, what the next Thanksgiving gathering is all about. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares where I post everything we do. Leland, do you have any last words? Despite all of this, thank you for your continued support. Have a good week, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week and get in the Thanksgiving, the festive fall season and spirit.